Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. Hey everyone, so good to see you all today. Um, as Zach introduced me as the good news of the day, I appreciate that. Well, not like the good news, but um, a part of the good news. Um, I'm Ivor Robinson. I'm the lead pastor of our sister, the sister church, Moon Tower Church, and also a teaching pastor here. But you probably haven't seen me very much because we've been really busy um, building Moon Tower Church, building up the excitement for it, and then finally launching on September 12th. And so. It's been an incredible, yeah, this is definitely like, that's good news for sure. That's definitely something to celebrate. Um, it's been a journey. I can't believe we're coming to the close of our first semester of, of being at Moon Tower. And um, just thank you all for praying for us to giving to the ministry so that we could go out and um, we can also make an impact in the community as well. And so um, I'm just so glad that y'all are all here. Like Thanksgiving just happened and you definitely could have been cuddled up in the bed because it's a little chilly today. Um, you could have been anywhere, but you chose to be here, and I'm, like, just so glad to be here with you all today. Like, I never take this opportunity to share lightly as many times as I do it. Um, I know that God has been so faithful, and so I'm just so glad to, to be up here. And so we're going to be closing out the series today, um, and we're going to be talking about a place of abundance. And so a 2018 study from Purdue University that used, like, a much wider Gallup World Poll found that the ideal income point for individuals is $95,000 for life satisfaction and $60,000 to $75,000 for emotional well-being. And when people earn $105,000, their happiness levels decreased. And so I read a little bit more into that, and basically it just means that, you know, you kind of go up and down, you kind of plateau back to where you started. And so I always found this statistic really interesting because of the way that I grew up. And so throughout my childhood, there was like different moments where we just didn't pay our bills. And so um, we, would, we wouldn't have power and we'd pack up our bag and we'd take our stuff and we'd go to a family member's house. And because it was like always usually really hot or really cold when this happened or we may not have water. And so we would go to the neighbor's house at night and fill up a bucket of water so that we could, you know, flush our toilets and take baths and things like that. And so there was like these situations that happened as I was growing up and just, you know, the everyday life things. Like we would have a computer and game system one day and the next day it'd be gone because it was in the pawn shop and then it'd like reappear. And so these occurrences happened over and over again with different situations. And I remember kind of like the icing on the cake. One of the things I'll never forget is police officers used to show up and give us eviction notices like ever so often. And so this time... I was at home by myself, I was probably like 10, 11 years old, and I look through the peephole, I see the police officer, and I recognize him. 
So he was the dad of one of my sister's teammates, and we had um, we'd been really close with their family and all the families because my sister played on the same team for a really long time. And so I remember being so embarrassed, and I didn't open the door. And um, so I can hear him on his radio saying, hey, I know these people, and I can hear him vouching for us. And I don't know if I was to be relieved or just feel more sorrow at the situation. And so you're probably thinking, obviously, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but it was actually the opposite. Uh, My parents made really good money. We were an upper middle class family. And um, based on our salaries, like we we had more than enough to get us through um, all the things that we needed. I mean, if you saw our Christmases, you see our pictures, we've got a ton of toys, we've got Barbies and bikes. Anything you could desire. Me and my sisters, I have two older sisters. We all usually got, my mom would get us like the same type of things, but we got them in different colors. It's like my color was red, so I knew that it was mine. Or if we had favorite characters and we got like whatever it was, like really cool tent or whatever it was in the character that we liked. And so you're probably thinking like that doesn't add up, right? Like what happened there? Well, I had one parent, my father, who grew up, he grew up pretty poor, and so he had to scrape for everything that he had. Um, He started working at a really young age, and I, like, totally respect him because he's one of the most hardworking people that I've ever met, but also, like, I really hurt for him. And so he was, you know, in this constant state of never enough, never enough money, never enough time, never enough resources. He even got to go to college and play football, D1 college, and he had to drop out because there just wasn't enough. He didn't have enough support. He didn't have enough resources. There wasn't enough out there for him to be able to chase his dreams. And so he was constantly in this scarcity mindset even when he didn't have to be. And so he was conditioned because of his experience to make these decisions that came out of a place of scarcity, a place of hurt, you know, even when we had enough. And so in turn, his decisions that he made created a lot of chaos within our home. And so we never knew, you know, if we would have, you know, food or if we would have our our water, our lights, our power, like if we would have to pick up our stuff and just move in one day because we couldn't pay rent and we had to be gone the next day. You know, we never knew what was coming next. And so those inconsistencies, um, it, it was really hard to process, you know, as a kid. And so we probably have like our own stories of the things that happened to us growing up and the fear that we've known growing up that made us make these decisions and these mottos out of our hurt. And they become contrary to what we know to be good for us, you know, what we know to lead our families to like a fulfilled life. And so if you're struggling, you know, with that hurt and experience that, you know, those different things as a child, You've made those models in your heart and know that there's a redeeming God on the other side of that. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we look at Isaiah 25 today. And we see that the scarcity mindset is the opposite of who Jesus is. You know, we get really caught up in a competitive society because, you know, how else do you make it? How else do you get the job? How else do you make the money for your family? How else do you become successful? And so we have this mindset Um, that our success is contingent on somebody else's failure, but we know that's not true. And so society wants us to think of life as a pie. You know, if somebody cuts off a bigger piece of pie, then that leaves not enough for the rest of us, but that's not the life of Jesus. That's not the ministry of Jesus. And so we see a lot of this translate into the church in many different ways. 
mostly in ways of being gatekeepers rather than peacemakers. And we sit and decide who can and can experience God's love based on our conditions, our bias, our prejudice. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. You know, many of us might have experienced those things within the church. And rather than calling out, you know, those people and, and choosing to stand up for what is right, sometimes we remain silent. And so as we look at Isaiah, we see these stories of God's wrath and judgment, but that's not the intention of the ending of the story. Not for the Lord's people. And so Jesus, his last words, an act of dying on the cross, were intended to bring hope and redemption. And redemption here is not only for um, the people of Israel, but for all people who turn their hearts to God and have faith and believe in him. And so we're going to start reading Isaiah 25, verse 6. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. If you have an app, you can type it in. Or it's, it's right there on the screen, so there's so many options. All right, so verse 6 says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Like, that's a feast I definitely want to be at. And so throughout these verses, we see this theme of the word all. The word all is intentional, and it's a celebration of harmony. The reason why there's a feast, because there's this battle that has been won, and there's this victory that has taken place. And so it says whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're on the opposing side or the losing side, God prepares a feast for all people, and he spares no expenses for those who love him and those whom he loves. And so there was this abundant supply of all wants, needs, and desires. This, this meal, it symbolizes the way that God promises his abundance of grace, love, mercy, truth, and kindness. And he'll continue to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so at this table, at this banquet, at this feast, there were cups overflowing, overflowing with blessings that we will not have enough room for. And so verse 7 goes on to say, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the Lord has spoken. I just love that, how that ends, like the Lord has spoken with such like power and sovereignty and authority. And so the veil that a veil covering the face like symbolized death. And so this sheet or this veil that covers all nations symbolizes the way that we were dead in Christ and how we were focused on other things, other things that wouldn't lead us to our best good. And we were submitting to those things that didn't lead us down the path of righteousness. And so the scripture here is prophesying what is to come, which is that Jesus would take on death, that he would die on the cross for our sins. Like what great love that he would have for us so that we could have joy in the morning, so we could have peace that surpasses all understanding. All of this would be given to the Lord's people, that means us, would be given to us in abundance so that we could have grace that is lavished on us. And so once death was defeated, we were allowed to live in the fullness of God's love, the fullness of God's favor, the fullness of God's peace, the fullness of God's grace, and that covers your entire family. And his promises, his promises continue in his love as he, we are given comfort, 
to wipe away the tears from her eyes, like we've all experienced hard things. These last two years have been a struggle for many different reasons. And I know that I've wept in different moments, I've worshiped, I've prayed, I've cried, and I've called out to the Lord and every single time he has comforted me, every single time he has been there. That doesn't mean that there was immediate resolution like, oh, I was just like, everything was, was different and new as I opened my eyes, but I knew that there was a different type of hope and different type of peace that the Lord would give me as he comforted me. And so he will do that and he will continue to do that because he's done it time and time again. And so that's one thing we know, that's one thing that we can depend on is that he will be faithful, he will be true, and he will do those things over and over again. And so as we struggle and we get into those cycles of guilt and shame, believing that we can't come back from the decisions that we made, feeling so overwhelmed with God's healing power that we just don't know how to move, we have to remember that the Lord has spoken. Like the Lord has spoken. It is final. It is finished. He has spoken great things over us. Man, what authority, what power that he has. And he's spoken the things over us that we are the head and not the tail, that we are to live above and not beneath, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's allowed to do that because he is sovereign. He is ruler over everything. And so those moments where I feel like we're lacking as a, a parent, a spouse, a partner, a coworker, in whatever role that God saw us fit, know that, we, that he has dominion and power over all the earth. And if we seek the kingdom of God and we trust in him that he can change our lives and he can change our situations, that he'll turn it around for our good. And so verse 9 continues the redemptive story and reads, In that day they will say, surely, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Rejoice and be glad. Through the blood of Jesus and the salvation that is offered to us, we don't have to live in a place of scarcity. We don't have to operate um, from this place of hurt, from this place of not enough, but we can operate in a place of abundance. You see, the enemy wants to keep us going back to the old things, just as my father did. Feeling like this is the place that you're stuck in, this is the place that you're destined to be in, that there's not enough, there's no more out there for you. But the Lord has other plans, the Lord has other things in store for us. If we can just move past that place and we can run into our destiny, into a place of healing, into a place of breakthrough, breaking the bondage of not enough, then the Lord will work the thing out. The Lord can work miracles. And we know that we are made whole and we are made new when we trust in him. When we trust in him, our rock, our salvation, there's freedom. You know, there's freedom in that when you can just like take a breath. You know, everything that's been mounting on you, that's been piling on you, the little girl, the little boy inside of you that's in need of healing, all of those things. When we just release those things to the Lord, we can experience that freedom so we can invite others in to experience the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of his favor, and the abundance of his love. And out of that abundance, we can create pockets and communities that other people will feel safe in to do the same. And I believe that's God's desire for the church. 
And in all of these things, we can rejoice and be glad in our salvation when we put our hope and desire, the Lord's desire, and we trust in his plan, we put that first. So in Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, one of the habits is to put first things first. That means we prioritize the most important things and we don't let circumstances and situations overtake us and get us into place of reacting out of our fear and out of our hurt. But putting first things first means that we remember that God loves us despite our faults and our shortcomings. It means that we remember the promises even when we feel like the world around us is crumbling. I mean, I think we've all felt those moments where we don't know where the money's gonna come from. We don't know where the resources are gonna come from. We don't know how we're gonna be able to provide for our families. But God, but God. And so knowing that he loves us despite our fault, we accept, we accept the grace that God has given us and we release ourselves from the bondage of not enough. We live in our God-given potential and we chase after God's will and purpose for our lives. You see, earlier I talked about Moon Tower Church. That was a short version of how we've gotten here. But if I piled all the reasons why I shouldn't be where I was, why I shouldn't be leading the church, all the boxes that I wouldn't check off, I would never do the thing. I would never step into my destiny. I would never step into my purpose. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants to get you into a place where you don't think that you're able to do it, where you don't think that that's what the enemy wants, where you're not, where he believes, he wants you to believe that you're not enough. He wants you to pile up those reasons why you're not qualified. But man, I had people who spoke life into me through the most hard times, and God used my story for his glory. Because who wants a perfect person up here? Who wants a perfect person up here? It's just not possible anyways. And so being vulnerable and allowing people to have a window into my heart is where I feel like God can really use my story and use my situation and use the hard things that I've been through in order to be a light to other people. And we all can be encouraged to do the same so that everyone else can feel the abundance of God's grace that has been lavished on us. And so I know that sometimes we get into this place where we feel like we're, you know, supposed to be humbled, humble ourselves before the Lord, and that's true, but I think we take it to another level that leaves us into this lonely place of not enough enough until we truly tap into the character of God and realize that he has made us for his divine purpose and he has made us in his image. Amen. And so we can live in a place of abundance because the grace of of the gospel is a royal feast for all the Lord's people. That means you. That means the Lord can do more than we can far ever think or imagine. And so I'm so excited about that. I'm so pumped about that. I've seen the Lord do it over and over and time and time again in my life. I've seen him be so faithful. And I'm so excited about the ministry and the, and the life of the church of Restore and of Moon Tower and this thing that we're doing and how God has commissioned it because Let me tell you, me and Zach and all the people who are supporting us and loving us, like it has been a fight. It has been a fight to be here in this place and do this thing, but God has commissioned it and God has placed us and God has purposed every single step that we have taken in order to be here 
in this place. And so when I said earlier, like, I don't take this lightly, I never will. I pray that I never will. But I don't. I don't. Because I know what it means. I know what it means. And I know what God has done. And I know how he sacrificed and he died on the cross for all of our sins so that we could tell our story. And so we can operate in a place of abundance. Not being scared, not being in fear, but operating in a place of more than enough because that is the God that we serve. He is more than enough. And so I pray as we leave here today, I want us to remember that the Lord not only delights in you, but he delights in prospering you to a place that you will experience life and life more abundantly. Amen. Let us pray. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, just for loving us unconditionally, God. For lavishing your grace on us, your love, your truth, your mercy, and your kindness, God, so we can experience life and life more abundantly, abundantly, God. And so I pray that um, as we have this royal feast, God, that we would just feast on your goodness and that we would just taste and see that you are so, so good. And so, God, I thank you for just placing us here, for all the people who are here today. God, I pray that their hearts would just be experiencing your love, God, your mercy and your kindness. Lord, we just love you. We praise you, we honor you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank God.